Amen. I think we can give the Lord praise one more time. Amen. What I love about that song particularly is that I love to hear the words, my Jesus. I think that describes uh, a level of experience, um, a level of salvation where Jesus becomes personal to you. Uh, if you've made the mistakes in your life and you have caused yourself harm and you know what it feels like for Jesus to rescue you, he becomes more than just a historical figure or a theological belief. He enters into your story and he becomes my Jesus. He becomes personal. And that's my prayer today that at the end of this message that Everyone in this room or everyone listening to the sound of my voice on a podcast would have that to be able to say that, that this is my Jesus. This is my personal friend whom loves me and whom I love. And so I'm excited this morning to talk about this Jesus, my Jesus. And it's interesting that you may think, or may believe that pastors don't have problems or pastors don't struggle uh, with their faith or struggle with that. But I can testify this morning that I had been in a season uh, of struggle. I had kind of lost a sight of, of Jesus. And I am so grateful that he's answered my prayer to renew me and refresh me and to show me uh, what I believed when I first started. I never forget how I felt when I was that 17-year-old kid realizing that I was being called to this and the, how I felt. I didn't have any tools. I didn't have any degrees. I didn't have know how to use Greek and Hebrew. I didn't have any of that. All I had was the It Is Written Mark Finley Bible. You might remember those? One of those old school Bibles that had everything in it. And as a 17-year-old kid, I was searching for God. And he showed up and he told me that you can't do this by yourself. You need me. And uh, over the years, as you, as I'm sure in any profession, you get professional, you get skills, you get experience, and you can tend to lean on those things. But God showed me uh, that I was, I was leaning too much on that and not leaning enough on him. And so I'm so excited to just testify of the, of the grace of God in renewing and refreshing uh, my soul and my heart. How many of you know every once in a while you just need a good refreshing? Just good, a good reminder. How about a good reminder of why we got married in the first place? Come on, say amen. Men, don't say nothing. Don't even, don't even move when I say that. Just let the ladies say amen on that. Sometimes you need to remind yourself, why did we get together? Let's, let's refresh this. Sometimes you got to remind yourself, why did we have children? Whose idea was this? And, and so every once in a while, you need to just say, hey, God, what, what, let's refresh this thing and let's, let's start afresh. And I'm grateful for that. And I believe that this series that Pastor Sergio has, has engaged has been helpful and insightful to me as I'm continuing the series, Contagious. And I want to I wanna name it today. I want to talk about Contagious Inconvenience. Contagious Inconvenience. And I believe uh, the heart of our pastor and the heart of this church is to really uh, position ourselves as a church to be really good at receiving those who God has sent to us. 
and to go after those who God has told us to go after. And so this idea of being contagious, this idea of being a witness and spreading the gospel and the good news is something that we can all participate on at any level. Doesn't always mean you got to stand up front or be profound and prophetic. It can simply be a smile or a courteous act for those that you are, are in line with. And so I want to start by reading and turning your attention to First Chronicles chapter 29, Old Testament book of Chronicles, story of the kings and the conquests of the kings. And I want to draw our lesson today from this particular passage, and we're going to begin at verse 1. And I'm reading today from the NLT, the New Living Translation. So if you've got an iPad, iPhone, or eyelids, whatever you have, pull them out. And let's look at this. I got my analog version today. First Chronicles 29. The Bible says, Then David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work of head of, ahead of him is enormous. For the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord himself. Boy, that sounds like a really difficult job. Could you imagine that on your job description? I want you to lead the people and I also want you to build a temple for God. Can you do that? Thank you very much. Verse 2, using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold. So, so I'm going to read that differently. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. All of my private treasures. Did y'all read that? David said all of his private treasures. Brother's got some, some, some bread, doesn't he? Brother got some cash saved up in his account. He says, this in addition to the building materials I've already collected for his holy temple. I am donating more than now. He's telling, putting, putting it on the church, saying, Sister Treasurer, Sister Boone, I want to make sure this is listed in the account, 112 tons of gold. I don't, even, I don't even know what that is. I should have looked that up. Most pastors look, you know, look that up. That's just, I don't know what the price of gold is, and I don't know what 120, 112 tons of gold is. From, how do you say this word here? Ophar? We'll go with that? Okay. And, and from, that's the place, and 262 tons of refined silver. That's a lot. To be used for overlaying the walls and the buildings and the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, I love his, his question here. Now then, who will follow my example 
and give offerings to the Lord today. Then the leaders, family leaders of Israel and the tribes of Israel and the generals and the captains of the army and the king's administrative office gave willingly for the construction of the temple. They gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 30, 375 tons of silver, 175 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. They also said so this, look at this here. Look at the capacity that the people had to give. The untapped capacity that the people had. Almost doubling what David, tripling even in some places, what David personally gave on top of what they already had. This is pretty remarkable. Verse 8, they also contributed numerous precious stones which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, the descendant of Gershon. Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with joy. Can I just have you help me preach this message this morning? Can you look to your neighbor, look at somebody next to you? Look at him right in the face. You're still looking at me. But look at somebody right next to you. Say, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. This is going to be inconvenient. Come on, try another neighbor. Somebody on the next to you. Somebody, I, need a little, I need a little louder voice. I need y'all to, come on, I'm a black preacher. I need, some, I need, y'all to, I need you to preach with me today. Say, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. This is going to be inconvenient. Father, we bless you. We thank you for the word that you're going to give us today. May we respond to your call, to your instruction, to your leading. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Inconvenience. I I tend to think about myself as a pretty patient person. I think I am for the most part. But as I reflected on what what inconvenience is, I realized that in this particular area, I'm not as patient as I think I am. I'm more of patient when I can plan on it. Right? There's a difference between when you plan to be patient, right? When you're watching, let's say, anybody under the size of two feet, right? You just, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, especially four-year-olds who want to put their shoes on for themselves, and you're running late to school, and you have to wait for them to put their shoes on. It's going to take maybe 20, 30 minutes, but at least they're learning. I can, I can do okay with planned inconvenience. Now that I used to live on the west side of the state, now I live on the east side. Traffic now, I have to plan myself to be patient. I used to just be used to the traffic. But now when I go over to the west side, I have to plan for that additional traffic because I'm not used to that here. So I'm okay when it's planned. But for the most part, inconvenience is never something you can plan for, right? In fact, that's the essence of being in, something being inconvenient. Something that's demanding something of you that you weren't expecting and planning for. I used to feel this way as a child growing up. My mother would always put me in inconvenient situations. I remember being very judgmental of my mother, very quietly judgmental. 
I grew up in the days where you could not express your distaste, your disagreement, or anything. Matter of fact, you couldn't even think it. For some reason, my mom could even know what I was thinking before I even opened my mouth. I don't know if you had a mother like that, but I did. I mean, I remember sometimes talking back to my mom in my mind. And I hear my mom say, what'd you say? You know, I, I know what you said. I know what you were thinking, boy. I used to remember being inconvenienced by my mom. I, if you could just imagine my mom sitting on the couch and maybe, I don't know, two feet from her is the coffee table. No coffee on it, but there's a remote. And I remember being in the same room and my mom would say, Terrence, can you give me the remote? I wasn't planning on being an engineer. I wasn't planning, I had no idea. I wasn't thinking about that. But I, I, sh I could, at least in those days, kind of at least assess you know, some sort of space and realize that perhaps if she were just to lean forward, that the, the remote is probably within distance of her reach. Maybe she couldn't assess that, but I didn't have time to think that or say anything, so what did I have to do? I had to get up and hand her the remote, inconvenient. Sometimes my mom would say, son, could you please bring me something to drink? Again, my mind would be racing as I would calculate the steps it would take for her to leak, go from just here to the refrigerator, reaching it, you know, all of this, but I had to go get the glass of whatever she wanted me to drink, her to drink, and bring it to her. I used to feel inconvenienced by my mom when she asked me to do things like clean the dishes, clean my room, you know, things like that, make my lunch. Those seemed to be inconvenient to me. But then I got older, and then I got married. Then I began to be reintroduced to the idea of inconvenience. Man, I'm going to try to help you out. Just look straight at me, okay? Don't look to the left or the right. Keep your eyes. I'm going to make sure you won't get in trouble here. I'm going to speak for you, though, okay? I'm going to talk to the men here real quick. For those who are married, in a relationship, whatever, doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to matter to women. Just talking to the fellows real quick. Have you ever been, guys, hungry? They, know, they already know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say it for you guys, all right? I got your back. Make sure you have my back, okay? Have you ever been hungry and have publicly said, I'm going to get something to eat? And out of the courteousness of your heart, out of the willingness to be a servant to that woman, you say, do you want anything? And her response, sweet and pleasant, no, I'm fine. You follow back up, are you sure? Don't want anything to eat, nothing to drink. Just going to go in here and get a sandwich, just making sure. No, I'm fine. I'm telling you guys, just look at, just look at me. I'm going to testify for you today. You get this sandwich or especially in my house, the french fries, all of a sudden, 
sandwich looks like a really good idea. And that sweet, gentle voice says, can I have a bite of your sandwich? Nothing wrong with that. Growing man, right? We can spare a bite or two with trust in our hearts. We surrender the sandwich and the french fries for a bite. Not realizing that I'm going to get the bite and she is going to get the sandwich and the fries. You notice none of the men are laughing. I did not break a man code. I just freed you up. You are not the only one. That's true. I got one for you, sister. Don't worry about it. I'm coming down your lane. Don't you worry about it. She's she making sure. Say, wait a minute now. Boys do it too. You're right. I ain't going to leave you out. Now, I could, I could spend the rest of my term, sermon talking about how men are very inconvenient. I can testify in my own life about this one. How about this one? Maybe this will resonate with you. My wife says to me, Honey, I need you to go to the store. See, they're laughing now. I just need you to pick up X, Y, and Z. Fill in the blanks. We say, sure. I can go get you X, Y, and Z. Send us off to the store because, you know, you're making dinner, you're making something important. Maybe it's Thanksgiving Day and you need that last thing you forgot. Don't send men to the store on a Thanksgiving Day run. Just give me a heads up. We go to the store and come back with A, B, and C. Am I bowling down your alley, sis? And D. And she says, now where, as she's fishing through the bags on the table, where is <laughs> the bag? Where's the stuff I told you to buy? And we say, oh, let me just check in the car. We go to the car. We look around. And we come back in the house, and we say, I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've done that three or four times, gone to the store and not come back with what my wife sent me to get to the store. Very, very inconvenient. Then became apparent, another level of inconvenience. You know, changing a diaper is very inconvenient. Because children's, especially little kids, their, their systems seem to be way off. If they're in proximity of a bathroom, nobody has to go to the bathroom until we're at least 10 minutes away from a bathroom. Then all of a sudden, I got to go to the bathroom. Um, diapers are very inconvenient. Waking up in the middle of the night is very inconvenient. And the only way that I can rationally deal with the inconvenience Enjoy of being a parent. Do you know how I deal with it? I inconvenience my kids. Come on, somebody ought to say. It just goes full circle. So I say, can you please pass me <laughs> the remote? <laughs> Dad, could you please go make me something to eat and drink? Please. Because I was inconvenienced and you were inconvenienced. Can I just tell you this way? That the Christian life is a call to be in, to inconvenience. One of my favorite pastors and speakers says, 
The Christian experience is an inconvenience experience. When we are called to serve God and called to be Christians, we are accepting inconvenience. We are moving from what is comfortable and for easy for us and planned for us, and we are entering into a season that we become inconvenienced. Let me show you one text. There's so many texts about this, but I want to show you this particular text in John chapter 13, verse 35. Look what Jesus says. Very simple, but very profound and very deep. Look what he says. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another in the context of the church, of being a Christian, of following God, the way you love each other will prove to the world that you belong to me. Easier said than done. What that means is that's a very inconvenient type of love. That's the type of love that demands a different response than what the world responds. Because some, the world will teach us that I will love you as long as you love what I love. I'll love you as long as you hate what I hate. You can be a part of my team as long as you agree with what I agree with. But the moment you disagree, the moment you step out of what we believe, the moment you do something different, you're not worthy of my love. But to love the way Christ love, wants us to love each other is inconvenient. And he says the proof that you are following me and you belong to me is the way you love for each other. The way you get along. When I look around the room, I'm excited. Because I see people from different backgrounds, different economic brackets, brackets, speak different languages. And for some reason, we can all be in the same room, worshiping the same God, loving the same Jesus, and loving each other because we believed in Jesus and we're his disciples. But it's inconvenient. It's interesting that the Bible frames Love is not just a character or a quality or an action or a belief, but actually as the very essence and being of God. A very simple statement, but very theological. It says that God is love. That he is the essence. He is the being, the example of what love is. And when you look at the way God loves us, it's inconvenient. The Bible talks about God loving us in spite of our sins. God talks, the Bible talks about God loving us, sending an innocent person to death on our behalf. About suffering, about breaking covenants. The way God loves us is the way we should love others. And Paul, and what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is challenging especially when you consider that the Bible teaches us that God is love. I love this chapter of, uh, of 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe you've heard it at a wedding or, or something like that. In this chapter, sometimes when I read it, I actually 
put in and supply the word God for that particular chapter. I encourage you to try that this afternoon. But let me bring you to this text. And I want you to look at this from a different perspective. I want you to look at it, look at it from the perspective of how inconvenient this type of love is. The Bible says that love, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're just going to look at a few verses, beginning at verse 4. Why don't you read this one with me out loud? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Can we go back to verse 4 there? Look at this. Look at this type of love. Love is what? That's inconvenient. Am I alone on this one? Being patient is inconvenient. Being patient means you have to wait. You have to wait at the capacity of the other person. Because you may be ready to move on. You may be ready to leave. You may be ready to do this, but the person next to you is not. And sometimes a church can be problematic when they're not willing to be patient and bring others along and make sure that they're catching up. And I praise God that this is not that type of church, but there are churches where people can be judgmental because they have already been delivered from certain stuff. They've already been set free, and when they look at someone else that's coming in new, they have a different timetable in, time, in their mind. So they say, oh, you're still dealing with that? You're still struggling with that? You're still on that? How come you can't give that up? I thought you got baptized. I thought Pastor Fred gave you Bible studies. Why, why are you still struggling with that? See, God and love is patient. If you're honest about your life, there are some things that you got over quickly by God's help, but there's other things you're still struggling with. So love is patient, and that's inconvenient. What about kind? Being kind is, is, is hard when people aren't kind to you. What about not being jealous or boastful or proud or rude? What about verse 5? Look at this one. It does not demand its own way. Got real quiet right there. No, what? look, when you make a sandwich for me, when you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I, I just want this much peanut butter and this much jelly. I don't want, you got it backwards. You got too much jelly, not enough peanut butter. I want it just, like, that's not the way I fold the towels, okay? I fold the towels this way. And no, no, that's not how I wash my car. No, no, you, you missed the spot right here. We have the way we want to do stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just love doesn't demand it. That's inconvenient. This is not the way we do this here. It's not irritable. Man, that's hard enough, okay? Come on, somebody, just be honest. Love is not irritable. I can get irritable. She said she's confessing. She, you know, we're preaching this sermon together. She said, I can get irritable. I appreciate your confession. Make sure I make a mental note of that. Let me know when you're irritable just so I can know. 
Monday night you were irritable? Oh, wow. Sunday to Tuesday, no eating. That's inconvenient. That didn't make me irritable too. What about this one? Keeps no record of being wronged. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Keeps no record of people wronging you. I don't keep a record of, well, last time you did this. That's, that's difficult. It does not rejoice about injustices. They get what they deserve. That's inconvenient but rejoices when the truth wins out. This is difficult, and I, I want to lift some things here from the passage that we're reading because I think there's something special when the people of God can get this, when the church can get this, because I believe it releases you and frees you to feel good and comfortable with being contagious, that sometimes sharing God's love and sharing who he is is a matter of making a choice to endure inconvenience and there's something contagious about a person who is modeling strength and love and joy in verse 7 of that same passage endurance through every circumstance to remain hopeful to not lose faith even when they're being inconvenienced you've seen that mother you've seen that grandparent You've seen that caregiver. You've seen that officer. You've seen that teacher. You've seen that pastor. You've seen that community person. You've seen it. You know what it looks like when they're having faith and they're not losing it and they're hopeful and they're enduring when it's inconvenient. Something attractive about that. And I want to encourage us as a church today to maybe take some things home from this particular passage in uh, 1 Chronicles, a chapter where we were just reading chapter 29. Here's what's interesting about this. David, King David was a, a king in the Bible who loved God, and, but God had told him that, well, he had felt impressed to build a house, to build a temple for God. And this wasn't just an ordinary temple. This was going to be an elaborate, bill, as you kind of already read, billion-dollar thing. I mean, this was going to cost an enormous amount of money. But God had told David, hey, David, I know you want to build this to me, for me, but this is one thing I'm not going to let you do. This is some things that we have talked about and some things in your past. David, I'm not going to let you do this, but I am going to promise to let your son do it. And I'm sure that that was inconvenient to him. He wanted more than anything to build this beautiful temple for God, but God said no. But he responded in that inconvenience by saying, okay, if my son can do it, then I'm going to set him up for success. And so David is really getting ready for this temple. And the books of Psalms, most of you have read Psalms before, was really a collection of the hymns and the songs and the ordinances that David had set up for the temple. God said, you can't build it. But he says, that's okay. I'm going to set it up. So David is, is 100% ready to do this thing. And he announces to the people, as we read before, this particular passage that grabbed me. And I want to pull some things out of this to help us to maybe attach to ourselves of how we can be contagious and inconvenience. Let me give you three things, and then we're going to go home. And so here we are. In verse 1, Bible says that he turns and says, My son Solomon, 
whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. And the work ahead of him is enormous. For the temple he will build, not for more, more for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Here's the first one I want to give you. That as we live a, con a contagious life of inconvenience, first thing we got to grab a hold of is that why we're being contagious is because of. Because of. As Pastor would talk about a lot, leading with the why and understanding your why. See, David was doing this to help not only God, not only the people, but to help his son. He was aware of the difficulty of being a king and this project at the same time. He was aware of what his son would need. And so part of what encouraged him to do this was because of his son. We've all got to have a because of. See, when you have a because of, it helps you be inconvenient. I know what it's like sometimes to come to your church and have your favorite seat and have your favorite song and have your favorite preacher and have your favorite class. But when we're called to inconvenience, sometimes we have to inconvenience ourselves because of someone else because of another generation, because of another language group. Come on, somebody. So, so, so God says, look, if you have a because of, it's a lot easier to be inconvenienced. When you go back home and you realize, when you feel that strain, and you realize, like, wait a minute, this is an opportunity, to, an opportunity for me to show the love of Christ, to embrace being inconvenienced, and to do this be, let me remember because of David was like, I'm doing this for my son. I'm doing this for the next generation. I'm doing this for God. I'm doing it for the people. I just think it's helpful that David is teaching us this. Get to know your because of. Be clear about your because of because that will help you when you go to work and you're tired, and you don't feel like going, but you realize that I'm doing this because of, and it's a, a strong because of, is never for yourself. Can I get anyone to say amen for that? It's because of someone else, and if you could just shift that, and when you're, uh, when you're going through the week, that perhaps you have more opportunities than you think to share the gospel because of the because of that God has given you. That was his because of. And here's the second one. Down here, he says, uh, where was it at here? In verse, um, oh, I'm looking at the wrong text. Here we go. Down here in verse 2, he begins to explain. He's given every resource that he could as a king. And then he says in verse 3, And now because of my devotion to the temple of God, I am giving up my own personal treasures of gold and silver to help in construction. I love this. David says, I'm giving my own personal treasures. Here's the second one. This makes it easier to live a contagious, inconvenienced life when you have, and this is hard to say, but in, in light of. In light of. I've heard that phrase. Have you heard that phrase? Uh, where someone would say something and they say, but in light of the fact, right? Maybe it's a court case. We have this evidence, but in light of this new evidence, we have a different 
conviction or a different judgment. See, in light of, David understands his history and his past. David understands very clearly that he is not going to build the temple because of the blood on his hands. And over the years of his many conquests as warrior and king, he's assumed a lot of wealth. But David realizes, I love what he says in verse, uh, in verse 3, because of my devotion. David said, I made a decision about this. David says, I'm dedicated, I'm devoted to this. I'm going to do this, Chris. Nobody's going to stop me. I'm going to do this because of, and because of, I'm going to do this in light of what has been done for me. And so David remembers what he's been through. David remembers, I'm sure as he goes through his treasure chest, he says, oh, I remember when I, I jacked these guys up for this. Oh, I remember this battle. This is where we collected this. Wow, I remember when the Lord blessed me here. I wasn't expecting this. Oh, I remember this treasure. I remember what God gave me here. If you go back to the treasure chest of your life and you began to look and open up those treasures, all those blessings, if you can remember far back for those who went to college, should I say those who went to Walla Walla College and know how expensive Walla Walla College was and know how it felt to hear that you were financially cleared. Anybody ever been through that experience and said, praise the Lord that I made it through the treasures he begins to open up. Sometimes you should just take some time to just begin to look and thank God and say, God, thank you so much for bringing me through this. Thank you so much for bringing our marriage back together. Thank you so much for rescuing my child and bringing him back to church. Thank you so much for delivering me from addiction. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Thank you so much for giving me this church to serve you. In light of this, I'm willing to be inconvenienced. David's like, I'm willing to give it all. I'm devoted to this. Because some things, that's what it takes. It takes all. Can't do it halfway. Can't do it a little way. you got to do it all the way. And David says, all the treasures that I have, I'm going to give to something that I won't even see. I won't even enjoy it. I won't even hear these songs being sung. I won't even know what it sounds like. I'm going to, it's going to be in the future. But in light of what God has done for me, I'm aware of the fact that someone else did it for me too. See, Dave, David, as, his, uh, 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 as he became king, was well aware of the fact that he didn't deserve to be king, did he? Somebody else was already king. And David was the shepherd keeping sheep when the prophet came and poured oil on him and said, you're going to be the next king. And it took uh, several years for him to do it, but he realizes that someone went ahead of him and that it was God's choice, even when he could have been and should have been disqualified for it, even when his own son tried to take the kingship from him. It's in light of the fact that he says, I'm going to give all that I have. Here's the last one. Down here in verse, uh, I'll just give it to you, then I'll read the verse. The last one is in spite of. Have the courage to be contagious in your inconvenience by having a because of, 
by having in the light of and by having an in spite of. I want to read down here in verse uh, what David says. I love in verse five. He begins to list what he gave. And then he says, now then. Who verse five, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Now, I love that he's being very specific here. Because if you would have heard King David said, who wants to follow my example? Some people might have scratched their heads a little bit. Uh, David, which example are you talking about? Are you talking about the adultery example? The framed murder example? <laughs> which, okay, because David, I, we all know what you've done. So when you say follow my example, can you be specific, right? Or what you're talking about. David specific, he says, would you give an offering to the Lord? I love this because I almost missed over this. See, when you look at the life of David and the mistakes he made, not only publicly but privately in his own house and the dysfunction that he had over and over again, and the fact that God told him, David, you're not going to build this temple. The fact that God told him, nope, you can't do it. David still takes the disposition that he's going to do it anyway. And what's interesting about David, which we have the privilege of knowing, this is why I love David in the Bible, we get to know all of David's business, right? Like his whole life is on blast. Now, when he gets to heaven, and when we get to heaven and we see David, he might be a little shocked, huh? Like, how'd you know that about me? Like, David, I'm so glad to see you, man. That Bathsheba thing, man, you really came through. Like, wait a minute. Why is everybody doing my business? But David does it in spite of. See, his mistakes and his issues didn't disqualify him completely from doing the work that God gave him to do. I know how you feel. Wait a minute. I don't know about this contagious thing because, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. I'm looking good today, but I got some issues. And it don't take much for me to go to zero to 60. All it takes is the wrong post, and I'm here. I'm all the way left with it. All it takes is someone to look at me crazy, and I'm going, I'm going for it. I, I don't have all my stuff figured out. I've got some history. I've got some baggage. I'm not worthy to teach a class. I'm not worthy to stand at the front door. I'm not worthy to be on the praise team. I'm not worthy. Can I just release you from that today? That God will use you in spite of your past. In fact, that's what qualifies you. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for a person who is willing. And there's nobody that's qualified. We all got stuff. But when you have a because of, and you know who you're trying to, to help, and you know who you're doing it for, and you understand what God has done for you, you can move in confidence to know that in spite of whatever I've already done, God is still worth my best. And I love what he says. Will you follow my example? And what happened? It was contagious. The leader stepped up. Yes, you know what? David's not going to outgive me. I don't have a lot, but I'm going to give this. And the other leaders were like, no, no, we're going to give this. And the priests were like, no, we're going to give this. And the people were like, no, 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 we're going to give this. My family's going to give this. Go get that gold coin. Go get this. And it was contagious. 
I wish this sermon was about tithe and offering. It's not. But it would be a good one, huh? But the people were content. They saw the example of David saying, I'm willing to give it all. And I love this because David gives us a picture of Jesus. Can I show you this text in Hebrews? I want you to see that our contagiousness and our of being inconvenienced comes from an understanding of knowing that God was inconvenienced for us to understand the love that God has for us. Here's what Hebrews chapter 12. If you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down because the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before you. Can I be honest with you? It's going to be inconvenient. The race set before you is not going to be convenient. We're called to a life of inconvenience. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. This is how we get through this. The champion, that means he's won something. That means he set himself above everybody else. That means he's completed the task. Who initiates and perfects our faith. Here's the text right here. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, discarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Did you see that? It said that because of the joy before him, he endured the cross. How many of you know that the cross was inconvenient? That dying for sinful humanity was inconvenient. Putting on sinful flesh was inconvenient. Being separated from his father was inconvenient. Being crucified by the people that you healed is inconvenient. For arguing and fighting and people killing you who you represent in a spiritual way, the high priest, is inconvenient. For you to be mocked in front of your face by your enemy, the devil himself, and legions of angels in the uns uh, fallen angels in the unseen world who are shouting and mocking and laughing at Christ when he stood there beaten, bruised, and naked, it was inconvenient. But this text says... That Jesus wasn't thinking about his inconvenience. He was thinking about you. And the joy set before him. In other words, what was on the other side of this moment, what was on the other side of this ministry on earth was the opportunity to present to us salvation. And Jesus says, I'm going to be inconvenient inconvenienced so that I can bring salvation and healing to those who need it. I'm willing to endure this now so that you can enjoy this. And that is the call that Christ is making for his believers. 
believers, to be inconvenienced for a little while for the joy that's set before us to see our family members make it to heaven, to see our community see Jesus, to see those who are lost and dying to experience the power of Jesus Christ. That's why we inconvenience ourselves. Because on the other side of it now, being patient with that person now, you got to think about what they're going to be. Being patient with where they are now, you got to keep in your mind where they're going to be. And Jesus himself was willing to be inconvenienced so that we would have life. And has the audacity to say, love each other like that. I want to close with this. Pastor, the pastors, we just got back from a, our yearly pastor's retreat. And uh, we meet every year, uh, two times a year. But in the summer, we do a family retreat out at Camp Myvedon. And this was the first time we had a chance to uh, be with our new conference president. For those who do not know what that is, it's just kind of the headquarters uh, for the network of churches in our state and uh, our part of the state. And we got a chance to to meet him and his wife, uh, President uh, Minner Lavador, and his wife, Evelyn. And we got a chance to kind of hear his vision. And he shared with us his theme of us leading together. And he began to unpack for us <clears throat> what his vision was for this conference and for the churches uh, in this conference. And I'll tell you what, I, I never, I felt so, so inspired. I felt so encouraged um, because what I heard, it was affirming to what we already want to do. And I'll tell you what he, what he cares about. What he cares about is lost people. And what he cares about is reclaiming and loving the members who have already been a part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And he, he is so sincere and serious about it. And one of the things he challenged us with was our worship service. And he, and he illustrated it this way, and I want to illustrate it to you um, as we close. For those who are listening, I'm bringing a stool in the front of an empty stage. And what he said was, that's okay, that's okay. What he said was, I want you to think about your worship services. And I want you to think about who it's for. And he brought this chair up on the stage. And he said, I want you to imagine that our worship services are about inviting Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to be celebrated. And he walked us through every part of a traditional service, you know, the invocation and the offering and the welcome and the songs. And he broke it all the way down and said, this is all about him and this is about him and this is about him. And it did something to me. It spoke to me in such a powerful way to think about if I can do the best job I can, and especially in this part, of showing you who he is and lifting him up because someone needs to see the Jesus that I love, my Jesus, then I'm willing to inconvenience myself in order for others to hear and to see. It may mean some late nights. It may mean some extra finances that I wasn't planning on giving. But if I have the opportunity to share Jesus with someone else and to magnify him and to glorify him and to make it all about him, then somebody's life would be changed forever. 
so it's not convenient. It's not convenient to put someone else first, but that's the heart of the servant that God wants us to have. And so as I want to make this last point through a song, I've asked our praise team, our worship team today. Actually, he asked me, and I I responded to this song uh, to really solidify the message today. And I want to leave that chair, and I want you in your mind to imagine Christ sitting there And as we sing this song together, I'm going to join with you. Um, I I would ask that you would sing it to the Savior. And I want to let someone know, know today that Jesus not only died for everyone, he died for you. And he counted it as a joy to bring you salvation. So church, if you know this song, sing with us as we declare this together. I want to pause in our song. And I want to give anyone an opportunity today who just says, Lord, I want to serve you. I may not be perfect, but I'm willing to make room and inconvenience my life so that you might be the king. There might be someone here today that just needs to make a decision for Jesus. And I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to feel anything because of that would be negative because we don't feel anything negative towards you. But perhaps this is your chance to just be bold and just lift your hand and say, Lord, it's me. So I want to invite you today, if that's you, you're making that decision, maybe even for the first time, to just be courageous because we want to celebrate you. We want to thank God for you. You're just saying, God, I'm asking you to make me a servant, that I want to inconvenience my life for you. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Come on, church, let's celebrate. There's hands going up all over the room. God bless you. I want to pray, and then we're going to sing that last line one more time. Father, I thank you for the hands that are lifted today. I pray that you will come into their life, into their heart, as they are saying they are willing to be inconvenienced. They want to move themselves out of the way and allow you to be in charge. I pray that you'll forgive them, that you'll restore them and connect them with someone in this church or a church that's close to them that will love them and nurture them in the truth. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I want you to, I want the church really to give God praise and celebrate the fact you made the greatest decision of your life today. Come on, let's celebrate. And we are going to sing that song that just cemented in that we're all servants. Let's sing that one more time.